I want to start today by just telling you honestly, I really appreciate the part of our God, the God of the Bible, uh, and honestly, I prefer talking about it, thinking about it, teaching and preaching about the grace and the love and the mercy and the patience of our God, Jesus Christ. So I just want to say as we begin, that's where my heart is. I, I, I call that kind of the softer side of God Almighty, and He does have that forgiving and willingness to show you love and grace. Um, the reason I start that way is because today we're going to look at a section of God's Word that's exactly the opposite, okay? So, so today we're actually going to look at the side of the Lord that really is pretty hard and harsh and strong. Uh, anger and justice are front and center in Daniel chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today. Um, it reminds me of Proverbs 9 and verse 10. Proverbs 9 and verse 10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Matter of fact, I think that'd be good if you say that with me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, okay? So you need, we need to have a healthy fear of the hard side of God and that's exactly what we're going to look at today in Daniel chapter 5. But before we go there, I want to reference you to the new section of God's Word, Acts chapter 5. The uh, newly formed church was on the march. There was excitement. There was sharing of everything. Lots of people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ because they could see this church was alive. And then Barnabas, one of the leaders, sells a piece of property, and he just comes and gives all the, the sale price to the church to take care of people and to advance the kingdom. Pretty exciting time. Uh, but then in Acts chapter 5, uh, some other people see, and everybody's going, nice job, Barnabas. <laughs> wow, you, you are a really generous man. So there's this couple named Ananias and Sapphira, and they've got an extra uh, piece of land as well. So they said, why don't we sell our land, and then everybody will think we're really generous and amazing too. So, so they sell their land, um, but just before they go give all uh, of the money, they say, but, but you know, we always wanted that, that vacation to Hawaii. So, so let's just take maybe 20% and we'll put it in our pocket and we'll go give the 80% and everybody will think we're amazing. Uh, but when they go and they lay it at the disciples' feet, the apostles' feet, uh, they tell them, we gave you everything, gave you everything, okay? So, so again, the church is on the march, they're doing great, and now they want to get in on the, you're amazing, Ananias and Sapphira, you really are. Um, and then uh, when Ananias comes in, you know what happens? Uh, they said, uh, did, you, did you give it all? He says, oh yeah, I gave you every penny. You know what happens? He drops dead. I mean, like, boom. Yeah, and you look at that uh, in verse 5, he, he's dead. And then three hours later, okay, so this must have been like at noon. Then at 3 o'clock, his wife comes in, and she's feeling pretty good. Oh, they carried him off, probably took him to the cemetery. And then she comes, 
and she's feeling good, and they say, did you give it all? And she says, we gave every penny, and guess what happens in verse 10? She drops dead, okay? So, uh, can, I, can I just say that's not real soft. <laughs> that, that's not real warm. It's kind of hard, and it's harsh, but I want you to understand there is a holy and just and a righteous anger that's a part of our God, our, even our Savior, Jesus Christ. You understand? I believe, give me your eyes, I believe that Ananias and Sapphira uh, are one day going to be in heaven, and one day we're going to meet with them, new heaven, new earth, Revelation 21 and 22, um, but they just got taken a little early, right? Because they messed with a holy and righteous God, and I just want you to know, there is a side to God that says, you don't mess around, that's enough, my patience is done, now judgment's going to kick in, and that's what happens right here. Now, now some of you might say, but, but I don't like that side of God. I, I, don't, I don't want there to be, I only want the kind, gentle, loving, gracious side of God, and I would just respond, that's a little bit like the lump of clay saying to the potter, I, 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 don't, want, I don't want to be formed into a vase. I, I want to do it. So, and, and again, just want you to know, the lump of clay gets no choice in that. You understand? Uh, so just understand that that's God, and He's at work, and there is a side of Him that's not to be trifled with. Okay, turn with me to Daniel 5 now, Okay. You mean there's more of this stuff? Yep, there is. <laughs> You're going to see it. Uh, because in Daniel 5, if you'll think back to chapter 2, Nebi's vision, and he was the golden head. Here in Daniel 5, the arms of silver reach up and remove forcibly the head of gold. So what was predicted back in Daniel 2, that's going to happen now. Now, I'm going to give you a little background. You okay with some historical background? Uh, here we go. King Nebuchadnezzar has been dead now for 23 years. Because when, when the head of the entire world, because Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the ancient world at this time, when he dies, that's a big deal. Everybody knows that Nebi died in 562 B.C. Okay, the date of Daniel is October 12, 539 B.C. Again, when, when the head gets removed, that's a date that everybody writes down, okay? So Nebuchadnezzar, he's been dead for 23 years, okay? Makes you want to cry, okay? The king of Babylon at this time was a man named Nabonius. Can you say it with me? Nabonius. It's kind of fun, you know? Some names are just fun to say. Uh, and I double-dogged there one of you moms and dads to name your child Nabonius. Anyway, uh, and then you'd say, no, no, I don't do double-dog dares. Anyway, uh, so Nabonius uh, was Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law. Make sense? Okay. So he married Nebi's daughter. Nabonius had a son named Belshazzar, Belshazzar, okay? So here's the deal, chapter 5, verse 1, uh, Nabonius really liked to be the head general out on the field. 
That was his big deal. He was the king who liked to ride in with his armies and conquer nations, okay? So Nabonius really liked to hang out with his army and overthrow lots of, of the enemy uh, armies, okay? So who's going to watch home turf? Who, who's going to take care of the capital city of Babylon, okay? And, and that was a guy named, look at f- chapter 5, verse 1, Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Now, I tell you all that because for decades, um, skeptics, doubters of God's word, looked at Belshazzar and they say, see, we knew we couldn't trust God's word because everyone knows Nabonius was the king of Babylon when the Medes and the Persians invaded, okay? But what they didn't know is that Nabonius solved his leadership at home problem by making his son Belshazzar, co-regent or co-king. In other words, Nabonius was the head guy, but he was always out of town, and he loved to travel, okay? Belshazzar was the ruler, the king of Babylon. So I just want you to note, once again, it took archaeologists many years to catch up to the accuracy of the Bible. Isn't that fun? Just took them a long time. But eventually, they did discover lots of cuneiform writings dozens of times that states Belshazzar was the co-regent. And officially, he really was the city of Babylon's king at this time. So the next time somebody's telling you, well, there's this discrepancy or error in Scripture, and there's no, there's no record of this person, just be patient with those poor historians. Just be patient with those archaeologists. They'll catch up with God's Word and its accuracy in due time. They really will, okay? Uh, We're going to stand now and read out loud the first nine verses. If you're able, Daniel chapter 5, would you stand with me? And uh, this is an interesting chapter. Ready? Read with me, would you please? King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale. And he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. 
So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we're grateful that when we don't have a clue and we're baffled, that you know it all. (laughs) There's never been anything going on that you already weren't aware of. The really great things that happen as well as the disasters in life. Lord, thanks for being all-knowing and all-powerful. And I'm praying, Lord, that as we dig into Daniel chapter 5, we'll appreciate the enduring, lasting accuracy of your book. Every time that we read it, Lord, we can have confidence and faith that, that this is exactly the manual you've given us for living life. You've given us instructions. Uh, you've told us really positive commands to do, but you've also told us things not to do so we don't get hurt. So thank you for caring about us and even warning us off of things that could destroy us. Lord, Lord I want to say thank you for your soft side. Thank you for your patience, your mercy, your forgiveness, your love, your kindness, and you've shown that to us again and again and again. But Lord, today we're going to look at the other side of you, so would you help us to know about the the hard side, the strong, righteous anger, your justice, your holiness. Lord, Lord, help us to, to not just look at the fun, soft stuff, but Lord, let's even help us to look at the wrath. Lord, work powerfully today in your church. We need your spirit to rain down on us. We just acknowledge we live in crazy times. It's a dry and a weary land. We drink deeply from you. Might streams of living water flow today in your church. And Lord, right now, all of us who are watching online, uh, all of us who are at the East Jordan Community Church location, and all of us here at the Walloon Lake community church location, we all say with one united voice, you can be seated. First of all, let me tell you, the word son, Hebrew, can mean son, but it also means close male relative, could be son, could be grandson, as it is the case there, just in case you were wondering, okay? So Belshazzar was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, and while the Medes and the Persians have surrounded the capital city of Babylon, um, Belshazzar does what any king should do, right? When you're surrounded by this massive army, he, he throws a party for a thousand of his closest friends. So he, he's gonna, he is just going to throw this amazing uh, party. Why? Because Babylon, in his mind, would never be overwhelmed and destroyed and defeated. They boasted they had 25 years' worth of food in storage. Okay? So they're not going to stay out there for 25 years. Babylon also had a river that ran right through the city of Babylon, the, the Euphrates River, literally ran. So we got plenty of water, we got plenty of food, um, 
let's just throw a party. They can do, they can chant, they can light fires, they can try to throw a rock, but we just want you to know the walls were amazing. Uh, literally hundreds of feet high and, and very wide, okay? Literally, they could run a couple uh, chariots across the top of the city walls. You understand? So in their mind, we're safe. Those guys are just out there pounding, ma- making lots of noise, but we're fine. Let's throw a party. Don't worry. Be happy. So that's what they're going to do. So look at verse 1. Uh, he throws the party. And it's not quite, there wasn't enough tension for it, you know? We need, we need a little energy here. Hey, he remembers, we got some goblets, we've got uh, all of these artifacts that we took from Jerusalem when we invaded Israel. We took all their stuff and we're going to bring it back to us. We, we're going to bring it back. We stole it from the temple in Israel so verse 3, Belshazzar, a thousand guests, literally thumb their nose as they get, they get their wine and they get drunk on the holy dishes that belonged to God's Almighty's house, the temple in Jerusalem, okay? Now, Belshazzar, it seems, is making a statement, okay? If my grandfather could conquer Israel and steal God's stuff, their God's stuff, uh, then we must be greater than them because they, they had all this fancy stuff, uh, all this gold and silver, but we were able to steal their holy possessions. So we must be awesome. We're mighty. Just relax. Just drink up. The Medes and the Persians, they don't stand a chance against our great city and our great gods. Uh, They drank from the temple goblets. Look at verse 4. And while they're drinking from the goblets from the temple of God Almighty, um, they're praising their gods. Look what it says, verse 4, made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So just know what's going on here. Um, They're blaspheming the God of Scripture, saying, we're not afraid of you. We stole your stuff from your temple we're better and bigger and stronger than you, okay? Um, then instantly, verse 5, the mood changes. Uh, the hand of the real God, capital G, not the little g gods of uh, bronze and silver and gold and iron, wood and stone, shows up and writes a message to Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, the king of Babylon and his thousand guests. Now, now, this is fun, uh, verse 6, at least I do, because um, every man has a little bit of junior high boy in them, okay? That explains a lot, right? Uh, but verse 6 says that uh, he, his face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Um, a couple commentators suggested that could mean literally that Belshazzar messes his pants, Okay? You tracking with me, men, you know, with, with some junior high? He soils his royal robe, okay? That's how scared. The point is, this really hit him hard. Uh, and just as in Daniel 2 and Daniel chapter 4, the king's wise guys are useless. <laughs> uh, we don't know what that means. We, we, we don't know what that message is all about, 
verse 9, which really only makes Belshazzar more pale, more afraid. Uh, now, here's what's kind of fun. Apparently, hearing the fuss, the queen appears in verse 10, okay? Now, we know that at this time, Belshazzar's mother was already dead, okay? History tells us that his mother, uh, Nabonius' wife, was dead by 539 B.C., which means most commentators think this was likely the queen mother, if you will. This would be Nebuchadnezzar's first wife, uh, the grandmother, who history tells us lived to be over 100 years old, okay? And that makes sense why she knows about who to call when you don't know what the message is all about, because she was there firsthand with her husband, Nebuchadnezzar. Here we go, verse 10, here's what it says. The queen, hearing the voices of the kings and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she says to her grandson. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of your gods. Your father, grandfather, the same word can mean that, King Nebuchadnezzar appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind, knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve difficult problems. Hey, grandson, call for Daniel, and he'll tell you what the writing means. Have fun. So grandma comes in. Uh, Daniel at this point was likely in his 80s. How do you know that? Again, um, he came to Babylon 605 BC. Now it's 539 BC. The only thing we don't know for sure was exactly how old Daniel was when he arrived in Babylon. If he was 16 when he arrived, he was a teen, uh, that makes him 82 years old right here. Okay? So he's been serving in Babylon now uh, for 66 years, and uh, probably either 80 or to 85 at this point. So uh, Belshazzar doesn't seem to have a clue about Daniel. Apparently, Daniel's been living in retirement, makes sense, uh, for some time. And now Nebuchadnezzar's grandson says, okay, Grandma, I'll listen to you. Go get him. Go bring in Daniel. Okay, here we go, verse 13. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to Daniel, are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the kingdom brought from Judah? I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you. You have insight, intelligence, outstanding wisdom. Verse 15, the wise men and the enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means. They didn't have a clue. They couldn't explain anything. Now I've heard you're able to give interpretations to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing, tell me what it means. I'm going to give you uh, a really great purple outfit, gold around your neck. You're going to be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Well, well who was first? Well, he's smart. Nabonius, dad's number one. I'm going to keep number two. Well, we'll let you rise up and you'll be the third highest ranking person in all of Babylon, okay? 
Now, verses 14 and 16, I think, are very interesting. Look at it. It says, I've heard, I've heard, well, he didn't even know who Daniel was. So he's just heard about Daniel from his grandma, okay? Uh, and, and now think about it. His grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, deeply touched by Daniel and specifically the God of the Bible. Matter of fact, it's so strong in thinking in chapter 4, good chance Nebi actually believed and was an Old Testament saint. So why didn't Belshazzar know about the God of the Bible? Why didn't they hear about Daniel and all the amazing things that God the Father did there, Jehovah did in, in Daniel, okay? Here's the answer. Just think with me. Either nobody told him, uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, perhaps never passed it on to his daughter and his, his daughter to her husband, Nabonius, and, a, and they didn't share it with their son, Belshazzar. Or, here's the other option, they told him and they weren't listening. Okay? So, so either they didn't pass it on or they were told and they weren't listening very carefully. Okay? So, so let me just make a couple points. Grandma, Grandpa, for many of you, um, the only way some of your grandchildren are going to know about Jesus is if you take the time to tell them. Think about it. Many of you, if you don't pass it on, Grandma, Grandpa, uh, there's a good chance some of your grandchildren won't know about Jesus. And first of all, they're going to need to see it in you and see it when you speak and how you live, but then you open your mouth and you talk about Jesus to your grandkids. And I love what just happened a couple weeks ago. And I, I, won't, uh, I won't embarrass them, uh, but Paul and Debbie Terrio, George and Shelley, um, Ed and Robin, so, so don't look at them because that'd embarrass them. But, but they did something pretty cool. They, they put on a vacation Bible school. And if I'm not mistaken, mostly so that you could share Jesus with your family, with your kids and your grandkids. Isn't that a cool idea? So the, they cared so deeply that, that their faith, their, their love of Jesus Christ gets passed on. They put on a Bible school now, they had more than just their kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, but that was the real purpose, and I think it's pretty cool. So you're allowed to steal that idea from them if you want, but I just thought that was pretty cool. That, that's how much they wanted to make sure it got passed on, okay? Um, here, here's the second lesson here. How many of you grandchildren are here today? You can hold up your hands. That should be all of you, yeah, yeah. Are, are you willing to learn the lessons that the Lord taught your parents and grandparents? Because sometimes the problem is not that they didn't tell you, not even that they didn't live it, it's, it's you weren't listening. <laughs> too busy doing other stuff, okay? Too hard-headed, too knuckle-headed you know, would be my problem at times uh, to, to listen closely. Okay, let's move on. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered the king. Remember he said, would you tell me? I got this great reward. Here's what Dan says. You can keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. <laughs> I'm not here because I want a purple robe and, and a gold chain, okay? Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means, okay? I, that's just funny to me. Verse 18, your majesty, 
This is what Dan is saying to Belshazzar. The Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty, greatness, glory, splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Just want you to know, God Almighty put your father, your grandfather into power. Okay? Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those who wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. In other words, uh, Nebi did whatever Nebi wanted to do. He, he was powerful. Verse 20, but you need to know this, but when Nebuchadnezzar's heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. Just want you to know, Belshazzar, the Lord's already worked in your grandpa, and he really humbled. Well, how did he do that? Verse 21, he was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. And we looked at this last week, and he lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heavens until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. So... Your grandfather has already went ahead of you in, in, in this situation. Just want you to know he's worked and grandpa got humbled and grandpa's attention was focused on the God of the Bible, okay? So just know this, you're, the God that we're talking about is able to do awesome stuff, okay? Awesome, okay? Um, gives him this history lesson. Those are the hard facts. Now here is the verdict. And it's going to be a harsh verdict, okay? Verse 22, uh, but you, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, his son, you've not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. So it almost sounds like maybe he heard about it but wasn't listening. Uh, instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. <laughs> you, you had the goblets from his temple brought to you. You and your nobles and your wives and your concubines, you drank wine from them. You praised the false gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. They can't see. They don't hear. But you didn't honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. <laughs> wow. That's strong, okay? Like a judge issuing decrees to the defendant, okay? Daniel is the judge here. Uh, verse 22, Belshazzar, you've refused to humble yourself. You know, you, you knew some stories about grandpa and what happened to him, and he got humbled, but you didn't pay attention. Charge number one, you've allowed your pride to just take over. You, you're full of yourself. Your heart is proud and full of you, okay? Charge number two, verse 23, Belshazzar, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven, <laughs> okay? You thought you could spit in God's eye, you thought you could take the holy goblets and you could make a mockery of the creator of the cosmos. Uh, you thought you could do that and there'd be no repercussions, no consequences. I can do whatever I want. That's what you thought <laughs> and you was wrong, okay? You presumed you could thumb your nose at the God of heaven, spit in his eye, and you're going to be just fine, Okay? Not so. Here's your sentence. The judge issues the decree. God Almighty, through Daniel, here is the sentence. Okay? Verse 24. Therefore, he sent the land 
the hand, excuse me, that wrote this inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Pearson. Okay? You want to say that with me? Do, save yourself some trouble and don't. Okay? Here is what these words mean. Mene. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Okay? Tekel. You, you, you've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and is now going to be given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. He was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And how long do you think Dan was the third highest leader in all of Babylon? Next verse. <clears throat> that very night, <laughs> Belshazzar... King of the Babylonians was slain, was slaughtered, and Darius, or Darius, the Mede, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. The handwriting is on the wall. Isn't that interesting? Heard that expression? Handwriting's on the wall. You should know clear that comes from here. Your days are numbered. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but that comes from here as well. Belshazzar, your days have been numbered. It's over. You've been weighed by God. You've been found wanting. Your kingdom is divided. The Medes and the Persians, the ones who are outside the city right now, they're about to come in and wipe you out. Now, this is interesting. It doesn't record here. But history tells us that while the banquet was going on, here's, here's what the Medes and the Persians did. They stopped up the Euphrates River and diverted it around the city. In other words, they like dug channels, and now instead of going through, it went around, and they walked right into the city where the Euphrates River used to run through it. They, they literally walked in, wiped out the city, and that very night, October 12, 539 B.C., important date in history, because Babylon was the head of gold, on that date, literally, the arms of silver ripped off forcibly the head of gold, and now that very night, Belshazzar is slaughtered by Darius the Mede and his army. Now, I told you as we started, um, I really much prefer to talk about the fact that Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you, shed his blood for your sin problem, took your place in the grave early Sunday morning, arose from the dead, and Jesus right now is patiently knocking on the door of your heart. He's waiting for prodigals to come home. Run back home. You've been living in sin land, eating with the pigs. Come on home. Do the U-turn. Come home. Okay? Those statements are true and wonderful, but that's not the message of Daniel chapter 5, is it? Here's the main lesson, Daniel chapter 5. There is a point at which God's patience with us comes to an end. Do you understand? You need to know that. There is a point the Lord will patiently knock and call, come on home, C come on, I, I got my arms open wide. But there is a point when his patience runs out. The clock comes to an end. Um, and suddenly now there is a point where the Lord says that's enough. And that's what you see here in Daniel 5. That's enough. 
Belshazzar. Now you're going to have to deal with the consequences of your actions. Your, your sin, your rebellion, your blasphemy, now the consequences are going to roll in and it's time right now for God's holy righteousness to kick in. And that's what we see here. God's going to deal with Belshazzar, deal with Nabonius, deal with Babylon and all of their pride and it's strong and it's harsh. That's enough. Your time is up. Let me give you another illustration, okay? So this, this is huge. The, the head of the ancient world, Babylon, wiped out. And the next world power, the Medes and the Persians and Darius, uh, now they step up. So everybody knows about that. If you go back to Genesis chapter 6, there's this guy named Noah. You, you ever heard of Noah? Um, and Noah was famous for building a what? Right here, okay? The Lord was patient, forgiving, and merciful. Uh, but there came a time when the Lord said, that's enough. That's enough. Consequences are going to roll now. And that's exactly what happens. Um, if you head down to Kentucky, you can see a life-size uh, reproduction of what the ark looked like. I'm just telling you, that, that's a symbol to us. You know what? There is a time at which God says, no more. Your time's up, and that happened here in Genesis 6, 7, and 8. Uh, we started off by looking at Ananias and Sapphira. Remember Acts 5, early church on fire, marching, the Lord's using them powerfully, and then I, I, I want to get in, I want people to clap for me, and, and they literally lie, it says, to the Holy Spirit, and drop dead, and drop dead, Ananias and Sapphira. Um, Turn with me quickly if you have your phone or your Bible. 1 John chapter 5. Because some of you are thinking, well, that's Old Testament. That, that's not uh, much softer, much kinder. Um, lots more patience and grace here. Th this is New Testament we're living in today. Go to 1 John 5, find verses 16 and 17. Okay? Here's what John writes. It's right near the end of uh, the book he wrote. Um, and he says, verse 16, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin, by the way, he's talking to brother or sister, what's that, the inference? A, a fellow follower, somebody in the, the, the family of Christ. If, if you see somebody in the family of Christ commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray that God might give them life. Pray that they'll repent and wake up. Um, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. Um, here's something that isn't real soft, okay? Because it says there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying that you should even pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death, but there is sin that does lead to death. What? <laughs> what? You guys, some of you are thinking, what? I never read that before. It's because we don't tend to like those hard sections, Okay, uh, and, and I think sections like this should grab our attention and we should go, you know what? This God who loved us enough to knock at our heart's door and draw us to his son Jesus who took our place, shed his blood early Sunday morning rose. I, I just want you to know, loving, kind, gracious, forgiving, all of that is true. But there is a point <laughs> where, where he gets hard, okay? 
I believe, okay, I've preached through 1 John a couple different times. I think what John is talking about is Christians, brothers and sisters who wander away and they drift and they're living in sin long term, long term, and the Lord says, come on home, knocking at the heart's door, come on home. And they keep saying, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm eating with the pigs, I'm rolling around in the mud and the manure of sin, I'm having too good of a time, I don't want to come home. There is a point where the Lord says, you know what, you're my child, you won't come home, you won't come back to me and walk with me, you want to live like a child of the devil. So here's what I'm going to do, what is, look what it says, come on home, then come on home and be with me. Can I just say that's strong? And that's New Testament, and that's two brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? Um, let, let me give you one more example. Uh, just a couple books over is the book of Hebrews, okay? Hebrews chapter 10, okay? So, like, go, if you find James, go one more uh, book to the left, um, or on your phone, type in Hebrews. Okay, there you go. Uh, that was helpful, wasn't it? Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 29. Again... Not real soft words. <laughs> How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who's trampled the Son of God, Jesus, that is, underfoot, who's treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know Him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge who? The Lord will judge who? He's talking about us. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living one God. You're living, you think you're doing great, you know you're not walking with Christ, you're far away. Oh, it's okay, Jesus is merciful and kind and loving and patient, and he'll never mess with me because I've got my fire insurance, I prayed this prayer, I raised my hand, I walked an aisle, I got my ticket to heaven so I can do whatever I want. Oh, well, really? It's a dangerous thing, he says, to fall into the hands of the living God. I'm just telling you, uh, it's like the electrician, Phil Calio, uh, Rick Carlson. Uh, you know there's places you don't touch. You understand? There, there's places you don't touch. Why? Because there's danger there. We're looking today, friends and family, at some places where Scripture is shouting, you don't want to go toe-to-toe with the living God of the universe. You want to remember the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Give me your eyes. The fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins, okay? Just like a parent who lives next to a busy road. Any of you live next to a busy road? Can I see your hands? Some of you? Okay. Now, you, you got a child, and, and you're, you know the, the road, the people are going way too fast. What are you doing all the time? What are you saying to your child? Be careful. Look both ways. Don't just go running in, okay? Don't play in the road. Here's what the Bible is lovingly saying to us today. Stay connected to Jesus. This, this is real stuff. What the Bible says don't, he's not trying to ruin your life and, and oh, you can't go have fun. The Lord is saying, give me your eyes, don't hurt yourself. 
You're, you're my child. I love you, and I've given you these boundaries. I've given you instructions in my book. I don't want you to hurt my, yourself. I love you that much. I want to warn you. Don't, don't go running into the road. I close by saying this. I have a special place in my heart for prodigals. You know why? <laughs> I spent a long time as a prodigal myself, eating with the pigs. So if you're here today, or if you're watching online over at East Jordan, and believe it or not, all the time I was a prodigal, I was in church every Sunday. All the time, I, I was still mowing the church grass, and I was still singing in the choir. That's when we had choir. You know, I, was, I would have been singing in the praise band back then. Uh, all that time, I was still there, but I was far from Jesus. Why? Because God's merciful, and He understands, and, you know, I got my ticket to heaven, got my fire. N no. Please don't presume you can live like the devil long term, and the Lord won't get your attention. That, that's exactly what this is saying to us today. Last thought. Healthy fear of God Almighty is a good thing. Yes, He loves you. He's gracious. He's kind. He's patient. He's forgiving. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Say that with me as we close. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for each of us right now. Uh, forgive me for emphasizing your soft side almost all the time and not talking enough about your justice, your holiness, your righteousness, and even your anger and wrath. So we quiet our hearts right now before you. Speak, Lord. We're listening. We're ready to hear from you. We want to know what you have to say to us from what we've just looked at from your book. Have you been resisting and stubborn and you know what, I'm just going to live far away because... I, I, I had this time with the Lord and I did something uh, spiritual and, and there was a time I was close, but I think I'm going to be okay. I can live far from the Lord um, and, and, and he'll, he'll forgive me. Paul said, God forbid that we would presume upon God's grace. Today we've seen, Lord, want you to know he's willing to wake you up he loves you that much he wants you to come home could be you're here in church or watching church online or watching church over in east jordan and the truth is you're far from jesus you can fool lots of people i did for a long time you're not going to fool Right where you're seated, just, just be honest, Lord, that's me. <laughs> I, I've been drifting and I've wandered and maybe you've been away for some time. Perhaps it's time to come home.
could be that you're here and you don't even know Jesus personally. You've never invited him. You've never opened the doors of your life and asked Jesus to come in and be your king and savior and Lord. You don't want to mess with a holy, righteous God either. Let me give you the good news. Jesus went to that cross for you. Jesus shed his blood for your greatest problem and mine. We're sinners. Jesus took your place in the tomb. Early Sunday morning, victoriously, Jesus arose from the dead. Those are facts. The gospel. Will you believe those facts for you? Jesus, you did that for me. I believe. And now I open the door of my life and I receive you as my king, my Lord, my ruler, my good shepherd. Work powerfully, Lord. Thanks for even the hard, difficult truths that you give us in your book. You love us that much that you're willing to even say don't because you don't want us to hurt ourselves. We love you. Thanks for allowing us to worship you today in song and in studying your book. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.